why are we a note-taking culture? I'm going to give you two reasons, okay? And this is your prompt. If you forgot your notebook and pen, just go back and get it. Nobody's, nobody's going to notice when you slip out of the room. If you don't have it with you, somebody is going to notice and say, psst, go. Why are we a note-taking culture? Uh, number one, because when we write it down, our we learn tactily and we see visually as well as hearing uh, auditorially. So we're getting all our senses involved, so we might actually retain a little bit. Okay, and so we want to remember what the God of the universe is actually trying to communicate to us as a group and to us as individuals. We take it seriously, yeah? Okay. And also, secondly, why do we write things down? Because this stuff is so amazing that God actually does love us, that he actually does have a plan for our life. We want to be able to tell some of the stuff we're learning to our friends. It's just the easiest way for our friends to hear about the Lord is just tell them what you're learning. You don't have to have a big speech. Just tell them what you're learning. Oh, that's cool. That was worth 50 bucks right there. Okay. We're going to have a, uh, probably a handful of people, maybe a handful and a half of people. Just say what they uh, learned last night. This is another way when you say out loud what you learned for you to retain it. So anybody, what did you learn last night? Lots of oil. Yes, they did, those kings. Of who? Yes, yes, you, you learned some uh, Hebrew words. And that just, that sort of puts it in the black and white, doesn't it? Wowzer. We could get good at asking, couldn't we? Because we spend a lot of time as uh, younger folks asking, haven't we? You go to McDonald's, don't you ask, could I have? Yeah. Okay, anything else? He is still in the business of anointing us to do whatever it is we're supposed to be doing for him. Do you guys know that yet? That there is a person-sized piece, a little puzzle piece for you in the puzzle of his plan. Think of it this way. Anybody like reading books? We do have a book table. Um, God is like writing a story, and you're like a chapter in it. He's writing you into the story. Ooh, that's pretty cool. Okay. Anybody else who was dying to say something before I go on? Okay, we've got a, a first slide. Uh, this is our theme. Let's go back. The Messiah, a love story. There should be one, Dan, that says the Messiah's message. If it doesn't, Probably doesn't. Okay, pretend this one says the Messiah's message. That is our talk for today. Sorry, Ethan, I probably didn't send that one to you. In Mark chapter 1, um, verse 1, we learn that Jesus is, is who? 
number one, the Messiah, number two, the Son of God. And that's where we go to this slide. He's our hero. He is the king come to right all wrongs and to rule the earth as it ought to be ruled. He is the Son of God, the rightful authority. He is our hero. He means more to us than like the Seahawks. I saw some Mariner hats at breakfast. Thank you, men, for representing. Um, yeah, whatever we look up to, he, he is our hero better than anyone else. Let's take a look back at Mark chapter 1, verse 15. And we're going to need somebody to read that for me because it takes me a while to find it. So Mark 1, 15, just start reading it when you find it. I don't know if any of you slept in on Christmas morning. Probably not as a little kid. But if somebody had to wake you up and said, it's Christmas, you know, th this is what Jesus said. It's now. The time is now. It's here. The kingdom of God has come. We don't think in terms of the kingdom of God so much, but the Old Testament people heard from the prophets uh, over and over again that the king was going to send his Messiah to rule the earth to right all wrongs, to be a time of pre peace and prosperity, especially for God's people. So Jesus is saying, hello, the kingdom of God has come near. It's now. And his message is how you respond. What are you supposed to do with that fact? Well, it says repent and believe the good news. Did we talk about what repentance was last night? No. I wonder if that's in the notes today. Uh, repent is this Greek word metanoia. Uh, you guys know metamorphosis? Change your shape. Change your morph. Uh, so this is change your noia. Change your gnosis would be the actual Greek word. Change your knowledge. Change the way you think. Change what goes on in your head and live according to it. We're sort of a weird culture in that we know stuff, but we don't live it. Um, that's not right. That's not how God intended knowledge to be used. When we know something, we're supposed to use it. So Jesus is saying, repent. Change the way you're thinking. The king has come. The kingdom of God, the reign of God is here. Change everything. And that's why people were coming uh, as we read earlier in, in Mark 1, to be baptized by John the Baptist, who said the same message. Do you guys remember um, that Adam and Eve had surrendered the control of the earth um, to the serpent? Remember that from yesterday? Big mistake, wasn't it? Okay, so do you understand the unseen reality of where we're living now? We live on a planet where there's a usurper in charge. Yes, God still exists. Yes, God is breaking in all the time, but how is he breaking in? Through his people. This is God's primary agency. How else does he break in? Through like his angels. God is, is still trying to move things in a free will way to move towards what 
he wants to happen. Take a look uh, all the way back at Genesis chapter 1 to see God's ultimate goal for where he's trying to bring this love story. Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28, several of my favorite verses because if you want to know why you're here on earth why you're alive i think this might be the best explanation i have found god said let us notice the plural let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish fish need ruling over the fish in the sea, and over the birds of the sky. The birds need ruling. Over the livestock, over the wild animals, uh, over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. It's not that those certain kinds of creature needed ruling. It's a way poetically to say, rule everything. Take care of everything. Those of you who have uh, heard me teach before know that the book of Genesis is actually uh, started by Moses, edited several times, and it's a polemic against Egyptian theology, a polemic or uh, a defense of saying, hey, this is not your way is not the right way of thinking this is the right way of thinking and why would Moses have had to start off a book like this because God's people the Hebrews have been enslaved for how many years like 400 years or something and so when you live in a culture you start absorbing the cultural thinking yeah okay and and as Americans are we absorbing the cultural thinking all the time hello It's, it's just impossible not to where you live uh, to absorb the cultural thinking. And so Moses is writing this down so that they would know how to think God's way, the creator's way. And the creator's way is that I'm going to make you in my image so that you can image me on earth in the way you rule, the way that you order things. The Egyptian theology was all about chaos. And so uh, God is the one that asks his people to image him in a way that subdued chaos to bring the earth into a beautiful expression of who he is and how relationships like god the father son and holy spirit that trinitarian relationship of god himself the one god is our example for every kind of relationship is anybody following what i'm saying okay well Can I give you an example of what repentance meant for me at one point? Okay. Uh, I was your normal, (coughs) somewhat lazy high school student. Anybody relate to that besides Shana? Okay, and so I decided, okay, I'm going to join the cross-country team. (laughs) Silly. (laughs) You can't be lazy. So I had to repent of the way I thought and the way I acted if I was going to be a member of this team. I changed how I thought about myself. I now identified as a runner, not a lazy person. I changed my attitude towards hard work and pain. 
I embraced hard work and pain as my new lifestyle. I embraced them both uh, as the only way to live my new identity. And I was no longer uh, a s just an individual person. I was part of something. Uh, in cross country, only the first five fastest runners on each team score. And so it's a, it's a corporate score. Five people have to do really well. And so as a team member, you're always trying to get into the top five of your team. You're trying always to push the top five members to run as fast as they can so the team can score the lowest uh, number, which is if you are first place, you get a one. If you're second place, you get a two. Lowest number wins between two teams or multiple teams. Okay. So to become a follower of Jesus, what changes in thought and behavior do you think we ought to be thinking about making? And those of us who have already made that jump to be all in for the Lord, what changes in our thinking is the Holy Spirit pointing out to you? What changes in uh, the way you live is the Holy Spirit pointing out to you? Um, when I decided to follow Jesus, I had to give up partying the way that I'd been trained to party in high school. Anybody else a partier in high school? Uh, there's a few honest people. Oh, okay, and so anyway, uh, the only way that you could party was to drink too much. There was nothing about moderation in high school. Okay, and so I had to give up drinking way too much. Um, so the message of Jesus is repent, and it's also believe. What are we supposed to believe? Yeah, what good news are we supposed to believe? That there is a rescue plan, that there is a Messiah, that there is a true supreme authority, uh, a son of God on the earth, that all other authority in our life must be rejected, and our allegiance is to only be to Jesus. It really is an all-in commitment that Jesus taught. So if you're back in Mark 1, keep going right to Mark 8. I'm going to need somebody to read Mark 8, 34 through 38. So what does it mean, according to Jesus, to be all in? He said, if anybody wants to follow me, they must deny themselves. How are you doing at denying yourself? Um, if anybody wants to follow me, they must pick up their cross. Great. What is the cross? One of the cruelest forms of Roman control over a population that they could ever think of if somebody was opposing your rule well you just put a tree trunk in the ground put a crossbar there and you hung people on the cross you either tied them to it or nailed them to it 
And how did they die in that cross? Just imagine hanging on a cross. Here we are imagining. Sorry about this. Um, after a while, you're hanging there. You have some fatigue in your arms, yep. You have some fatigue in your legs. And after a while, your torso here, which, which holds these two big balloons called your lungs, can't inflate very well. Okay? So you try to uchi up with your legs so that you can fill your lungs. And after a while, you're so fatigued, you die of not having any oxygen. Okay, this is not how Jesus died, though. We know from 2 Corinthians 5.21. I don't know if that's on any slide, so that's free. Just write it down. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So all of our sins were poured into his body on the cross, and that's what killed him. It was the first time he was ever separated because our sins make a separation between us and God. So that's the first time he was ever separated from his father because he was sinless. So anyway, if we're going to follow Jesus, we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross, that thing which kills us, that thing which, you know, we, we die to our being in charge of our life. We die to our goals and dreams and aspirations. We are completely at his disposal. It's like being one of the cabinet members of the president who just say, I serve at the pleasure of the president. You're just picked by the president and you serve because he was pleased to pick you. Okay? We serve at the pleasure of our king. So we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross, and we follow. So wherever Jesus is going, we want to be there. Whatever Jesus is thinking, we want to think it. Uh, whatever Jesus is doing, we want to do it. Whatever heart Jesus has, we want to have the same heart. Whatever mindset, we want to have that as well. So we want to uh, deny, pick up, follow, and live for Jesus and live for the gospel message. Mm. We live for a person, our king, Jesus. And we live for a message, his message of repent and believe. Um, let me give you an example of how God worked in my life as a young believer to get me all in. I think it might have been my junior year up at Western. I was studying to be a high school history teacher and coach because I thought maybe I could help high school students learn about Jesus that way. And I took a basketball coaching class from Chuck Randall, who had led the Western Washington University team to the national championship. He's also the guy that invented the collapsible rim, which nobody uses, which I think is great. They used to be breaking uh, backboards when people would dunk and hang on the rim, so he invented the collapsible rim. Uh, anyway, uh, I was in his basketball coaching class with all these uh, tall people. And uh, I was taking a basketball class, you know, and, and all that stuff, and was really involved. And he pulled me aside one day in the hallway as I was walking uh, out of the gym to my next class. He said, Michael, uh, I want to offer you a job. I want to offer you the job of being um, an assistant to the junior varsity coach. And I was thinking, this is before they invented OMG. I'm just thinking, OMG. Um, like my life was made. I'm not going to have to coach at the high school level. I'm going right to the collegiate level. And do you know what had happened? 
just the month before this conversation, I had told the Lord that I would say yes to being a Chi Alpha campus minister and take the internship when I was done with school. So God was testing my commitment. I was sadly told, uh, Chuck, no, I, I can't do that. I've already told the Lord I'm going to be a campus minister. He was a nice Christian man, and he was also my Sunday school teacher when I was a kid. So he understood what was going on. This is the kind of all-in that Jesus is inviting us to. Does our world need a little bit of help? Could we be some change agents for the Lord if we just said yes? What if a whole bunch of people said yes to him? I wonder how much good we could get done. How many wrongs we could get righted before he came back? Man, dream a dream. Think about all that could be done on this planet. Talk to the Lord about it. Okay. Let's have a look at our last text for the day. Uh, this is John chapter 15. This is um, verses 9 through 11. I warned you yesterday we get to John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 15, 9, 10, and 11. Somebody have that? Thanks, Alan. Do you guys know what meditating on the Bible means? It's like you, you keep reading the words, either out loud or silently, or you're committed to memory, and you just run them through your mind and just think about what is being said here. This is very powerful, the Word of God that we're reading. Jesus is saying... In the exact same way that God the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, disciples. And who are the modern-day disciples that he loves? Right here. Okay. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are so perfectly united and in love and in community that we call the triune God, God. There is one God. Perfect love. And I can't explain that to you. I can only read it about it in scripture. But this perfect love that the father has for the son, the son says to you as his disciple, that's how loved you are. Isn't there a yearning in all of us to be loved? Even if we had like perfect parents and a perfect family, isn't there still a yearning for for more, like there's still something that needs filling in our love bucket? Aren't there a few holes in our love bucket that need to be patched? Yeah. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So your job is to remain in my love. I love you, so your job is to stay there, stay in that love. Well, how do you do that? Well, keep my commandments. 
If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. And God's commandments are for our own good. When you have children, you'll you'll come up with commandments. Like, don't run into the street when you kick the soccer ball there. Cars go on the street. They aren't watching for soccer balls coming out. They aren't watching for kids running out to get the soccer ball. They might hit you. So the commandment or the parental rule is for your good. God's commands are not burdensome. They are simply to make our life work well. That we might experience his love, love others, and survive. Not get run over. In conclusion, we have spent the morning talking about the Messiah's message. I want you to ask yourself a question. How much does God love me? I want you to really think about it and and let it sink in. Don't just have some sort of intellectual um, grasp of it. It's got to get farther. It's got to make the journey from the head to the heart. The seat of emotions, which is probably back in the head. But I, I, don't, I don't understand all that stuff. But, you know, it's got to get you fully involved in a way that is transformative. Like we talked about, have you been in love? Would you like to be in love? Would you like to be in love if you knew that it would work? You know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. We got to go for it. We have to experience it fully in a deep all-in way. So he tells us how to remain in his love by repenting and obeying. Another question for you. How are you doing at repenting? Getting the way you think all changed up. Getting the way you live in accordance with that all changed up. And then the serendipity, if we're repenting and believing and obeying, is joy. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you. My joy may be full. These are the kind of things Jesus says. Um, We can have joy by being that close to the Lord. We can have joy if we obey him. We can have joy if we're in constant relationship with him. But is this a steady state joy? We never fall out of joy? Never goes higher or lower? Oh, contraire. You've been a human long enough to know that joy doesn't work that way. Um, the, the Greek tense of the New Testament here I- is about so that you may be being filled. It's so that you can be refilled with joy. Yeah, hard things will happen. You're going to feel bad, right? But you can be refilled again with God's joy as you continue to walk in obedience and draw close to him and worship him and that kind of stuff, tell others about him. So life is not continuous joy, but there's a possibility we can always get refilled with it by going back to the source of our joy. Did you know that's what rejoice means? Go rejoice, go rejoice, go back to Jesus, the source of your joy. So what's our choice today, this morning? 
just like last night, how far will you open your heart to receive his love? How much will you allow him to deepen your trust of him? What step or perhaps steps would you take on this path of self-denial, dying to your self-will, living for his will, living for the gospel? I'll say those questions one more time because I'm a nice guy. How far will you open your heart to receive his love? How much will you allow him to deepen your trust of him? What step will you take or, or what steps will you take on the path of self-denial, dying to yourself, living for Jesus, living for the gospel?